This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, if you go back in history, debt was an awful, awful, awful thing. We had debtors' prisons. That's right. You couldn't even speak of it. People would just disappear from your town forever. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking a long, long time ago. But yep. that whole thing of debt, it's got a negative connotation for sure. Yeah, and if we even think, you know, I love talking history about, about debt, you know, the word bankruptcy, so where that came from, you know, two words, there's banca and rota, and the Latin origin is rota is to break, and banca is basically the work desk. So if you couldn't pay your debt, someone would come and break your work desk. Really? And that's where originally bankruptcy came from. Wow. So imagine how productive that is. You can't pay me, and I'm going to make sure you can never pay anybody else <laughs> that's again. Right. So And you have no job. Yeah. <laughs> Good work. So where Yay. the negative connotations of bankruptcy came from, it was honestly earned, and obviously today, if someone goes into bankruptcy, one of the first things we do is protect their tools of the trade because we want them to be able to earn money and turn things around. But yeah, the original connotations, as you said, debt was negative and bankruptcy was the end of the line. Yeah. Now this segment, we're calling it Not All Debts Are Created Equal, and there's good debt and there's bad debt. And there's ugly debt. And there's ugly Mm -hmm. debt. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about those three different kinds of debt. What's Mm -hmm. a good debt? What is a good debt? Yeah, so debt that's good is typically debt that you incur with the expectation that there's some future benefit, right? It's not that you're going to just pay the money and never see anything for it again, but it's money that you're essentially trying to invest, you know, for yourself, for others, for the future. So if you you bought a house 10 years ago in the lower mainland, that's probably great debt. Yeah, and you're you're selling it today for three times the amount. Mm hmm then that wasn't a bad debt to and have. you've been a genius, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so good debt, absolutely. Mortgages are kind of the top of the list for that. And the idea, again, for a mortgage is that you're investing in an asset that not only are you going to be able to live there every month to so provide utility that way, but it's going to appreciate over time. So as in your example, over a 10, 20, 50-year cycle, you're going to be able to sell that house for quite a bit more than what you paid for it. Sure. So part of a way to look at it is it's kind of a forced savings program right. where every month, instead of paying rent to a landlord where, um, you know, basically just fee for service and nothing long-term comes of that, um, you're investing in your own property, in your own house with the idea that you will recoup that eventually when you sell. But it's a risk because you're just assuming that your asset, your home, is going to be worth more at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And depending on when you bought in this crazy market... Yeah. That might not be the case. Exactly. I think a lot of people think, you know, the expression safe as houses, it's it's not exactly that safe anymore. So yeah, looking in hindsight, everyone would have been a genius buying, you know, in the last 10 years, a house in Vancouver. Um, But in the last six months, I've had a number of folks, I've spoken on this this show, a lot of young families come in to me who are so overextended on their mortgage um, because they bought a house at a certain price and then they pulled money out because they wanted to renovate the house. And now they've done their renovations and they're ready to sell. But what they 
thought their profit margin was going to be. If the market was still going up, they'd be geniuses. But sure. now the market has frozen, especially above a certain mark, um, you know, kind of a $2 million plus house, which again, people with $2 million house, we don't need to feel sorry for them a lot. No. Um, but folks who are completely overextended and might owe $2.2 million on that house exactly. and thought they could have sold it for two point five, you know, they feel completely, completely constrained at this point, yeah. hoping, you know, can they hold on long enough for the market to come back or do they have to sell at a loss? Yeah. So a house in the short term can fluctuate relatively significantly. So it's not a type of a short term investment you'd want to hang your hat on. Yeah. And depending on what market you're in too, right? Because some uh, there was a point that you had to spend at least a million dollars to get into the lower mainland mm-hmm. market and you weren't getting a mansion in Shaughnessy. No. You yeah. were getting like a two bedroom rancher in Coquitlam. Oh, yeah. Or or Port Coquitlam, or Mary Hill, right? You or a townhouse. Yeah. So yeah, crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. Student loans. Yeah, so this is another form of what really should be good debt. So you imagine you're borrowing as a student because you're investing in yourself. And isn't education such a wonderful asset? Nobody can steal it from you. It doesn't depreciate. All true. You've got it for life. You know, typically going to university, you're learning how to learn. You're learning how to be a lifelong person that can acquire and integrate knowledge. So all those are wonderful things. That being said, you've really got to be careful that what you're studying is going to be allowing you to pay back the amount of debt that you're incurring to get that degree. So I encourage people to really look long and hard at what are prospects after graduation. What's a reasonable starting salary? What's a reasonable budget going to look like, especially in the lower mainland with rental costs being high and vacancies being low. Exactly. Um, You know, a couple concrete things, you know, one is to consider, even though the government's going to advance you a certain amount for a student loan, don't automatically take the maximum. Most people just max out on the student loan. Hey, it's free money from the government, but it's not free because it's got to come back at some point. So if there's an ability for you to budget and not take the full student loan entitlement, that's only going to pay you back later on in life. Uh, And then the other point is if you're able to work part-time through the school year or through the summers, obviously try to pay things down over time, that's going to help mitigate that. So, you know, for the vast majority of people, especially going through professional programs, you know, the doctors, lawyers, dentists, so on and so forth. Accountants, yeah, you know, pick some. And a lot of tradespersons as well who come out, you know, with student loans, they're very easily able to service because the wages are quite good. Uh, But sometimes there are some diploma programs, which we won't go into because there's a lot of value in various programs. But you've really got to take a look at what is the financial viability of that post-graduation. And the cost of education today Mm -hmm. compared to, you know, don't want to sound too old, but Mm. it's crazy. Oh, yeah. What it costs to go to school these days. And I think just one last point on that, Elaine, is where I really see some crazy costs, so to speak, is with, you know, not the big names, not with the UBC, SFU, CAP, things like that. It's with some of the professional colleges Mm. where they're really, you know professional programs that say they're going to drive you right into a certain job and sometimes that job doesn't materialize, but the costs can be, you know, over $10,000 for a semester in some cases. So you really got to be careful. Absolutely. Uh, Okay. So we've gone, we've covered some good debt Mm -hmm. or some some good thinking around good debt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bad debt. Yeah. So bad debt is a situation where there's no future benefit. The money's been spent, the benefit is long gone, and all that remains is the regret and the monthly interest (laughs) costs and, you know, the despondency when you you think about it. You so. make it sound so sad and awful. Well, there is hope, but yeah, yeah. When, when you're when you're sitting with a bunch of bad debt, it doesn't feel good. And so credit cards would fall under that category? Yeah, absolutely. And for most people that I see, the credit card debt accumulates slowly. It happens over time and quite often it's just a small monthly overspend of a budget that maybe the budget doesn't exist, but if we were to put one together, we'd see that there's a few hundred dollars more going out than what's coming in. Um, and the challenge with credit card debt is that it's just interest upon interest 
interest, that the mm-hmm. debt snowballs. So at you know 24% interest, that alone doubles every three years if you do nothing with it. So you might have put some money on the credit card a few years ago, and now when you're paying it back, you're paying back twice what you borrowed oh. or two and a half times. And I have people say, they show me a balance, like they know they've paid that two or three times over the years with interest charges, and bank doesn't care at this point. This is still no. what you owe, and that's Ex- what, you, what you signed on for. Exactly. Uh, credit card debt, boy, oh boy. And there was, some, there was a piece I was just going to mention, and I, oh, darn, um, I can't remember what it was. Keep okay, going, sorry. If it comes sorry. back, we'll, we'll uh, go yeah, there. please, yeah. thanks. Uh, lengthy vehicle loan financing is another form of bad debt because this is a depreciating asset. And, you know, where we have people financing vehicles for seven or eight year terms, um, you know, at that point, they're almost always going to have a car payment. They're going to have an asset that's worth less than the amount that they owe on it. Right. Um, so it is a case you really want to mitigate those long-term financing, try to get something a couple of years old, financing it for three years, and then create yourself the budget space of not having a car payment each month. Perfect. And what I was going to mention about the credit card, which is kind of new, right? That you said that the, on the statement, mm-hmm. it tells you if you only pay the minimum payment yeah. that a certain amount of time, that's how long it's going to take to pay this thing off. Yeah, I love that disclosure. So for anybody who's listening who hasn't looked new, at that, right? it's in the last few years. Last yeah. few years, and yeah. The, the credit card provider, some of them put it, you know, front and center on the front page. Some of them, it's almost a little footnote. You got to really look for it on the last page. Yes. But it will say something like, if you only make the minimum payments, we estimate it will take. And I've seen, you know, 150 years plus uh, to, you know, to make these to make these payments to, to pay it off. So that exactly. does put it in stark relief. So if you haven't looked at that, mm-hmm. maybe look at that too. Oh yeah, that'll really put into, into perspective, you know, how much bad debt you have and how just paying the minimums is not going to get you out of debt. Now, used vehicles, you talked about that, that mm-hmm. That that's a, a better investment than a brand new one, and I like the idea of talking about car sharing. Yeah. And that is just such a great idea. Yeah, and I think that's more and more where the environment is going. Right, if there's an asset um, that you just need for a certain period of time, why own it? Why have all the maintenance, the depreciation? Um, some great car sharing options in Vancouver, especially Vancouver. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the Lower Mainland. I know it's expanding. Yeah. We even have some. I live on the island, and we've even got some going on in the island now too, which we didn't before, but we do now. Mm-hmm. And the worst kind the ugly debt. Yeah, ugly debt is usually debt that you incurred as a last resort or it's debt that there's severe immediate consequences if you don't de- if you don't deal with it right, right. away. Um, so for anybody that's listening, it won't be a surprise if they've listened to us before that I say payday loans, just say no. It's the ugliest of the ugly debt. Um, the costs and the fees, I don't know how they got around these criminal code uh, restrictions around interest because 60% is what the criminal code says is the maximum anybody's ever allowed to charge on a debt. But when you add up the short-term fees and costs and interest rates on a payday loan, it's north of 400% sometimes 500 percent so it's so expensive financing and what it does it breeds people into a cycle of reliance so you get one payday loan and then when you get your check you got to pay it back but you need a second payday loan because the extra charges there just took your grocery money so now your second payday loan is for your groceries but then when you pay that one back you need a third payday loan to pay your rent again so i see people sometimes with 10 15 different payday loans from every name under the sun with permutations of cash and money and it's you know and there's new ones popping up all the time Um, um, and yeah, it's something where there is some regulation in my perspective, there's not enough regulation, but it falls 
of the individual, you know, really just to try to avoid that financing. Because from what I've seen, payday loans, they don't really solve any problem. All they do is kick the can down the road for a period of months and the person ends up more in debt, more stressed out, more worried about the situation than when they started. And government debts, you've put that under that category too. And and I know that your inference isn't that, that they're ugly, mm-hmm. but they just need to be looked after. That's it. So by ugly, I mean there can be severe consequences yes. if you don't deal with them. Yeah. Um, unpaid income taxes, for example, the worst thing you can do is to not file your tax return because you know you owe the government money. Trust me, they know you owe them money. They get the employer to file the T4s or they have some idea of your self-employment income. And if you don't file over a period of years, what they'll do is they'll do an arbitrary assessment, which means they're just going to pick a number that's going to be a very high number. And then you've got to disprove them of what that tax debt is. And by the way, they're the government, so they don't have to sue you. They can come and take your wages, take your assets, everything like that. So if you find yourself owing money to the government, first is to be the best tax filer they've ever seen. So be completely compliant, get all the returns in, um, You know, just make sure you jump through all the hoops they want you to jump through. Um, but second is just to really take action about it. So to speak with the representative, usually with most government debts, they will work with you if you're able to pay things off over time in full. And if you're not able to pay them off over time in full, that's when you need the help of a trustee like myself at Sands and Associates. Yeah, licensed insolvency trustee. Exactly. So, and can you throw in a couple of these, like what, what consumers can do when they're faced with this kinds of stuff? So take stock of the situation, mm-hmm. uh, take a look at what the how much debt is owed at this point. And if you're only making the minimum payment, payments, boy, you need to figure that out. Yeah, just don't ignore the situation. Don't be scared to reach out for help. You know, It's a free, no obligation consultation and gen- generally we'll be able to help you with the bad, the ugly and the good. Excellent. And here's the website. First of all, sands-trustee.com. Go to the website, get some questions answered or call 1-800-661-3030. Get that free consultation and to find an office near you. So this segment is five ways to make your debt problem worse. So this is the list of all the things not to do. Yeah, this is how not to solve your financial problems. <laughs> so as attractive as some of these things might sound, these are the things when people call me and I explain the facts, they say, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm like, yeah, if you had known, maybe you wouldn't have wanted to do that. Yeah. And the surprising thing about this segment and the items in this segment is that you at first blush, you'd go, oh, that sounds like a good idea. That's right. Like, yes. why wouldn't I do that? Exactly. Sometimes, you know, common sense kicks in and it just, oh, of course, you know, I want to preserve my assets, but you don't realize there's some laws, some regulations, some things that can really make it more of a headache than what you think you're getting a benefit from doing. So the number one, transferring assets. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea, Blair. Well, let's let's think about this. So yeah, I have people calling me often. They say, you know, I've got a bunch of these debts and then I've got an asset. And, you know, let's say it's, you know, some savings or it's a piece of real estate or something like that. And they're saying, well, can't I just transfer that to my brother, my sister, my spouse, my kids, and, you know, then go bankrupt on, I've got no assets. They can't do anything to so me. So we're protecting our assets by transferring mm-hmm. them. That's right. So it sounds attractive and I can definitely understand, you know, you've seen something and maybe it's been piece of property has been in the family for a long time. It's only in your name, but you feel, you know, morally it's owned by everybody here. Um, but if you're in a situation where you're unable to pay your debts, the last thing you should be doing is transferring assets out of your name. And a couple reasons for yeah, it. Yeah, why? Because it... 
Yeah, well, first off, um, if you do sell an asset at undervalue, so this means if you're going to transfer an asset out of your name, as long as you get fair market value, nobody's ever going to have an issue with it. Mm. So you know, if you've got a vehicle or some savings or a piece of real estate, you know, if you get it appraised, get a realtor evaluation, then you do a private transaction and you take the money and pay the debt, there's no issue. But the challenge is usually people want to transfer an asset out of their name for no money or for nominal consideration. A dollar love and affection, something like that, yeah. right? Um, and at the end of the day, you're actually creating a problem for yourself and for the person that you've transferred that asset to. Okay. Um, because from your point of view, um, you've now done what's called a fraudulent conveyance. Yeah. And fraudulent is a bad word, and it doesn't it mean is. you had any fraudulent intent. You know, you didn't have to intend to defraud anybody. But if the effect is that suddenly you were able to pay your debts with this asset, but now you're not able to pay your debts without it, then there's been a harm that's caused the people that you owe money to. They're now not going to get that paid back. So if you end up having to deal with your debts, if your creditors were to sue you to take you to court, for example, they could go and recover any property that you had transferred out to someone else's name. Um, If you were to file for bankruptcy, your trustee would have to do that. They would have to go and basically undo some of these transactions. So it can really cause a problem for you. So the flip side of it is that... You may not realize this, but a lot of your assets are protected. That's right, Elaine. So, you know, in the real estate example that we were talking about, there's an exemption for home equity in the province of BC. For each person that's on title, it's up to $12,000. So if you had a piece of property and maybe there's, you know, $15,000 of equity that's in there, um, if you hold on to that piece of property, if you had to go into bankruptcy, you're not having to give up all of your $15,000 of equity. The government allows you to keep $12,000 free and clear. And at that point, it's a three thousand dollar difference is what essentially you would have to pay to buy back that piece of property after your exempt value okay so again i know it it appeals to to folks because you want to protect things but you've got to realize that if you're not able to pay your debts without that property you've got an obligation um, not to transfer assets out of your name um, until you get some really good legal advice again there can be intricate situations sometimes assets are held in trust but for the most part speak to an expert before you start moving any assets around if it's a situation where you know you're not able to pay your Now, this next one is kind of a no-brainer, but... It also is, you know, like a quick fix, right? You feel like you're Mm -hmm. making a quick fix here using credit, using credit to pay that debt. Exactly. And this, almost everybody that I've seen, they do this for some period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's you get some money off of one card and you pay a minimum payment on another card, or maybe there's a balance transfer and you take advantage of that and then you live off the other card for a period of time. But all you're doing is you're just cycling through credit on a monthly basis. And the issue with credit is that there's interest costs on top of it. So your balances go up, 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 and then eventually there's nobody left to borrow from because you've maxed out on all of your credit cards. And then you turn to payday loans, and eventually there's no payday loans to to borrow from as well. So it just becomes this vicious cycle that where it leads to is incredible amounts of stress. You moving money around like a a day trader type of thing, just trying to make sure everything's going to fit on on a monthly basis. And it generally, it doesn't lead to any, any happy outcome. You're just borrowing more on a monthly basis. And you know this because of all the people that you've helped over the over the years who have done this kind of thing thinking that they were doing the right thing not wanting to um you know, just in all the stuff that comes with being in debt, being embarrassed and ashamed and all that stuff. But folks do this and, and it's just a huge 
pickle as a result. And that's exactly right. Yeah, and oftentimes, again, you know what, what's going on. You can see um, on a long-term basis, hey, I'm not going to be able to do this forever because I'm going to run out of, credit, of room on my credit. So it becomes, you know, even a cause of depression and despondence that, you know, you just don't feel like there's any upside uh, when every month you go further and further into debt. Yeah. So if you find yourself, you're only able to cover your expenses by using credit or you're paying one minimum payment with a credit card advance from another, that's a huge warning sign of something you're not solving the problem, you're making the problem worse at that point. And that's when you go to you. Ideally, yes. Yeah. So the third one, bringing in more borrowers. Mm -hmm. So getting somebody else to give you a hand. Yeah, so when you co-sign a debt with somebody else, now a lot of folks think, okay, we're just splitting the debt. You know, if it's a thousand dollar debt and you co-sign it, hey, the worst case, I'm on the hook for five hundred because you're fifty fifty liable. Right. That is not the case. No. Um, so it's what's called joint and several liability, which means if you co-sign that thousand dollar debt, uh, if the person doesn't pay, you're on the hook for the full thousand dollars, not just half of it. Um, so you've really got to be prepared that if you do bring in another borrower, uh, what we often say is you've now just enlarged the problem. You've now made somebody else a factor in your debt situation, um, and emotionally that can be very difficult, but also it can really stop you from taking the option that you probably should take because of the impact it's going to have on the other person. And what I mean by that is I meet with a lot of folks who are ready to do a consumer proposal. We're ready for them to pay off, you know, 30 cents on the dollar, everything's happy, but then we realize, oh my God, one of these debts is co-signed, and then the person can't proceed with the proposal because morally they feel obligated to keep this co-signer basically whole. They feel like they got to pay the co-signer back. Because if that person does a consumer proposal, I can make sure they've only got the responsibility to pay back the 30 cents on the dollar or whatever, but the bank is going to go to the co-signer and well within their rights to do so to demand 100% of the debt repaid. And that's sort of probably... The last thing you want is to impact the person who helped you out in the first place. That's it, right? They've done something nice for you. And, you know, when you've got that co-signed debt, you never thought you wouldn't be able to pay it back. But life can intervene and it can remove all of your flexibility to deal with your debts if you know that, again, mom or dad or brother, sister or friend is suddenly going to be on the hook for the debt that you just asked them to co-sign, you know, hoping that you would never have to need that. Now, you often uh, caution me when I use the word never, but Mm -hmm. this is probably an okay place to use that word. You never want to get somebody to co-sign. Yeah, the way I say is, you know, when is it wise to co-sign for somebody else? Almost never. Almost never. You know, I could think, okay, if it's someone, it's their last year of school, um, you know they're going to be employed and they need you to co-sign on a small student line of credit. Okay, you know, maybe you take a little bit of a risk, but you know what you're signing on for. You know that you got to be prepared to pay that back 100 cents on the dollar. Yes. But in most other cases, it seems like a co-signer is sometimes brought in at the 11th hour. You know, the bank's willing to consolidate all of these debts. Oh, just the last thing they need is a co-signer. And it seems like, oh, this is just, you know, dotting the I, crossing the T, where fundamentally this has just changed that whole consolidation and removed all the risk from the bank if they've suddenly got another pocket to dig into. Right. And legally can do that. Exactly. It's not like they're doing anything bad or wrong. Nothing nefarious. They're well within their rights to do so. Yeah, and you signed on to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ignoring your debt. Number four. Yeah. Again, a lot of these things people will cycle through for a period of time. And, you know, it's human nature sometimes when the pain is just so great that we can bury our head in the sand, we can ignore things, um, you know, hoping that they get better on their own. And the challenge with money problems is unfortunately they don't get better, they get worse. 
right? Because there's interest charges every month. There's often, um, you know, additional charges for missed payments or delinquency fees. And then suddenly they get the collection agents involved and some, it can be pretty tough to ignore them. So ignoring the problem is never a good idea. Uh, what you'd want to do um, is make sure you're opening your mail on a regular basis um, because sometimes your creditors will have taken steps to, to sue you or to take aggressive collection actions against you. And if you've got no idea about them, you know, talk about getting hit by a truck and is the and suddenly if your paycheck is going to be, you know, 30% lower than it was the day before because you didn't know that you were actually getting sued by your creditors. Got it. So you got to take a deep breath. Um, you know, sometimes I have clients bring in stacks of unopened mail to their first meeting with us. That's fine. I don't mind. I got a good letter opener. We'll go through it all and then we'll figure out what the problem is. But even having that stack of unopened mail, that can be just something that sits there and it intimidates you and it makes you feel bad. And you know, you're not, you know, fulfilling your responsibilities, but you just don't want to see the bad news. So ignoring the problem, never a good idea. It often gets worse. And most of the time, you know, I'd say actually all the time, people don't regret coming in to see a trustee, they regret waiting. They say, why did I suffer for so long? Why did I let things get so bad? So um, instead of ignoring it, just pick up the phone, give a trustee a call. You'll be happy you did so. Now, the last one is giving up. And I'm sure that you've talked to lots of people who have gone there Mm -hmm. or at least dabbled in that pool of giving up because it's a tough one. Yeah. Money problems can be all consuming, you know, depending on the the type of person that you are, you know, sometimes most of your identity can be built into, you know, your financial stability or your job, your profession. And if suddenly something happens, you know, you lose a job, you get sick and your financial stability is gone. um, You can really feel hopeless for a period of time. Especially in this kind of society, in this area, you know, corner of the world, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of our stuff is tied up with who we are, what we do, how much money we make, what we have. Oh, exactly. You know, even from a senior citizen point of view, sometimes a lot of their social life is, you know, going, you know, not to the casino, for example, but going to, you know, to a a social event or to a club or things like that, where there's might be just a nominal cost. But if you can't do that anymore, well, then there goes your social aspect as well. So I can be, you know, many different generations in life. So, you know, what I would say to folks, anybody listening is that you're not alone. You know, you've got to realize every year, more than 120,000 people in Canada work with a trustee to restructure their debts. Probably people in your life that you care about, that you respect completely, they've probably been through something like this. It's about one in 10 Canadians over the course of their lives is going to have a debt problem. And the less judgment we put on ourselves, you know, the better that we can even help others. Excellent. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to add in this as we kind of wrap up? You know, I think we we talk a lot, Elaine, about how important it is to really get the right advice at the right time. So, um, you know, making the call before you think you need the help is great. You know, even having a friend or family member to make an initial call for you and ask a couple questions is good. Um, I would say if you've got someone in your life that you can see is suffering, um, you know, just try to nudge them along a little bit. You know, people's finances are very private typically, uh, but if someone starts to open up and say, hey, they're having a little bit of trouble, you know, making this payment or that payment, let them know that there is hope. They may have no idea a trustee exists. They may think that, you know, a trustee's job is just to judge them and make them feel bad. Well, the opposite is true. We're here to help. Yeah. And the, and the staff at Sands and Associates, I mean, you, uh, we hear it when we, when we talk to a number of people uh, about their situations when they get resolved that, you know, they were kind, they were thoughtful, they listened, they helped me get through it. And the end result was terrific. So uh, go to the website if you'd like. It's nice and easy, sands-trustee.com. Lots of Q&A on there. Uh, frequently asked questions or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. Get that first free consultation as well. Well, find an office near you. So, 
How do you know which debt solution is the best one for you to take? You may already know that you need some help, but what's the next best thing to do uh, and uh, the next best action? So Blair Manton, BC Licensed Insolvency Trustee, works with folks across the province who are already looking for that better way to manage debts and getting guidance on how to move forward financially. So Blair's got some key aspects of, of how they assess a person's situation, as well as considerations when giving advice and evaluating different debt solutions. So Blair, can you tell us when's the right time to reach out to a, a licensed insolvency trustee? And then second to that, what are some of the common situations that people are facing when you hear from them these days? Yeah, certainly, Elaine. So. You know, essentially, a licensed insolvency trustee is going to be your best ally. When you find yourself in debt, looking for a way out, a licensed insolvency trustee is absolutely someone who's going to be there side by side, helping you get to that point where you owe nobody anything. If you're dealing with an LIT, licensed insolvency trustee, uh, you're getting someone who's a professional with unmatched expertise and experience. All we do is help people deal with tough debt situations, we're very qualified to do so. So it might be the first time you're facing something like this in your life and you don't know what the options are. The trustee that you're sitting down with has probably had a similar situation just a few times that day, uh, let alone that various months, years of experience that they build up. There's essentially no wrong time to get in touch with a licensed insolvency trustee. You know, a couple of real hallmarks of the people that phone us are if they're struggling to pay their debt, they're looking at the budget, and there's just not enough money to go around to keep everybody happy. They're unsure what to do about a debt. You know, maybe there's a debt that's been hanging around for a long time, they're not making progress, or something they haven't paid in a long, whole long time, and they're wondering, well, what do I really have to do with that debt? Um, or if they're just looking for a plan to get out of debt faster. You know, they're paying debt down, they're making all their payments, there's room in the budget, but they understand it's going to be 10, 20, or 30 years at this rate before they're actually going to be out of debt. Um, all of those types of factors can lead to a very productive discussion with a licensed insolvency trustee. And in those discussions, you know, it's in general, types of things that we'll talk about, it's not limited to, uh, but we're going to give you advice on common debt types like credit cards, income taxes, student loans. We're going to answer all of your specific concerns about specific debts, you know, whether it's a personal debt, a government debt, a family debt, or, or you know, from a large bank. Uh, we're going to answer all of your questions and then explain to you in detail, here's the suite of options that you have uh, to get out of debt. Some of them include working with a licensed insolvency trustee. Some of them are things that you can just do on your own. Uh, but we're going to give you clear calculations, clear plans on what you can do to go forward, a suite of options. You can choose to keep doing what you're doing, but at least you'll have the information to know uh, what the options are to get you out of debt as quickly as possible. I think it's really important, too, to remind people that in this country and in this province, but nationally, a licensed insolvency trustee is legally empowered, both federally and provincially, to help people with debt. And really, you're, I mean, while we get in, uh, bombarded with all kinds of ads and things about, you know, doing this and doing that, you guys are really it. Licensed insolvency trustees are really it in terms of legally being able to cover a whole bunch of areas that other people just can't. 
Absolutely, Elaine. And I wish as a profession, licensed insolvency trustees did a better job of telling that story. And that's why I'm so pleased we do the, um, the show on CKNW each week, because just people don't know that. but And they can sometimes flail about just not sure who to go to for help or think that no professional exists to help people in tough situations. And absolutely, we exist. We're here. We help people every day. And what really is gratifying to me um, is when I hear people say, you know, I had no idea, but then I learned about an LIT and I was so much better off. It stopped my suffering. And about two thirds of people that we sit down with, they say they would have acted sooner if they just knew, if they knew trustees were out there, if they knew the options that were available, and if they knew things weren't as bad uh, in terms of the options of a bankruptcy or a proposal, then they might have assumed they would have gotten action, taken action sooner and been that much better off. Okay. Before we go on to the next question, I just want to throw in the phone number if you're thinking, okay, this is me. I need to do something about this now. This is the phone number for Sands and Associates. It's 1-800-661-3030 or the website sands-trustee.com. So what are some of the main debt resolution options that you help people look at and figure out for themselves? Yeah, I think this is useful, Elaine, because I think people need to understand when you sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee, it's not a, you know, choose bankruptcy, choose proposal, and that's that. It's we're going to explore every option available to you and help you understand what's best in your situation. So, you know, one of the first options we'll look at, well, can you just contact your creditors? Can you negotiate informally? Uh, Perhaps you'll get a better result than you think. Um, you know, if it's just a personal debt to somebody or, um, you know, it's a debt to a bank where you've had a long-standing relationship, you might be surprised at what you'd be able to achieve if you just um, come to, to a creditor with a plan saying, you know, let's do a reduced interest, let's do some increased payments or decreased payments, whatever the circumstances would be. But oftentimes people neglect the idea of just going straight to their creditors and trying to see if they will work out some situation. It can work if the debts are low and there's some ability to make payments. If the debts are excessive and you've got multiple creditors, it can be a very difficult strategy. But one of the first things we'll look at is, you know, just contacting your creditors informally. What about the uh, the old debt consolidation topic? That always comes up. That's definitely one of the options to assess. And just about everybody that's in my office, they've tried that already. Usually it's the first thing that people do is, okay, I've got a bunch of debt to a bunch of people at high interest. Let me see if I can put all that together at a lower interest rate. Let me go to my trusty neighborhood bank and see if they'll give me a consolidation loan. Um, So it's an option that if you can qualify for it, it can save you some money. Uh, But a couple of hiccups here is first off, a lot of people can't qualify for a consolidation loan because if their credit is already pretty maxed out, um, they're depending on a bank to take a risk by paying off all of the other creditors. And then now you only owe a single bank. And what if you don't pay them back in full? That bank has taken a pretty significant risk. So it can be tough to qualify for a consolidation loan. Sometimes they want a co-signer, which is never a good idea. So talk to a trustee before you start co-signing debts that weren't already co-signed. Um, but a consolidation loan is where a lot of people start. They just try to borrow the money, but oftentimes they're either not approved or if they are approved, it's at a payment that is just very high and makes it very difficult for the budget to work. And when it comes to advertising in, in all areas, we often hear about private debt counselors or credit counselors. How do, how do I assess that if that's a good choice? 
Well, very carefully would be my my advice, um, because just as I mentioned earlier, saying I wish trustees told, did a better job of telling our story, trustees are outspent by a factor of probably five or ten to one by not-for-profit credit counselors, for-profit credit counselors, debt advisors. So it's really not a level playing field. If you start to go online and look for, you know, bankruptcy assistance, sometimes the top hits that you see won't be licensed insolvency trustees. They just can't afford to pay all that money for the keywords. What are the actual people that can help you? So definitely be careful as you assess if you're working with a private debt um, or a credit counselor. Um, there's a couple of different ways this can be structured. One can be a debt settlement where you'll make a lump sum payment, you know, maybe a third of the debt in one fell swoop. And if you've got that money kicking around, that can work for you, but it can be difficult to accumulate otherwise. Um, otherwise, oftentimes what a credit counselor will do is they'll negotiate payment in full of your debts, but they'll get an interest freeze and give you a term of up to five years to pay it off. So that might sound great, you know, $20,000, I paid off over five years, no more interest, that saved me a ton of money. But it might not be your best option because you might have been able to file a consumer proposal and instead of paying back that full 20000 you might be paying back six or seven or $8,000 and having a very similar, if not the same, credit rating impact. So be very careful if you're assessing options from a private provider because they might not be the best options available to you under Canadian law. You can only access those through a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah, really important, and and uh, I can't stress that enough because I just think that's one of the most important things uh, to think about and or to know before you even start the process. And in wrapping up, we just got about a minute left in this segment. Um, can you talk about the best way for consumers to get in touch with a licensed insolvency trustee? You talked about just looking them up, and they often don't show up at the top of the list, uh, competing mm-hmm. for space with the credit counselors. Uh, but what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best bet is to go online. Just go to sans-trustee.com uh, or give us a call at 310-0911 anywhere in the province. Uh, it's a free call. That's a free consultation. And just one of the last things that we're going to talk about, too, just in the option, I know just a few seconds here, is a trustee is going to tell you if you could actually do nothing. If your mm-hmm. judgment proves there's a case that a debt just doesn't need to be addressed, we're going to help you investigate that and charge you nothing to figure it out. So all of the options will be evaluated when you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm glad you included that. Uh, sans-trustee.com, as Blair said, is the website. It's also, uh, you can make your appointment through the website. Also, there's just lots and lots and lots of good information, questions and answers to explain things a little more deeply, uh, if that will help you uh, to, t- to uh, take that first step. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. This segment's all about checking in on your personal debt, why you should and how to do that. It's a great segment to start looking for clues that maybe you could use some help. So do you know where you stand when it comes to your personal debt? When was the last time you checked in on your debt repayment plan? So we're going to talk with Blair, of course, licensed insolvency trustee from Sands & Associates, talking about some key factors to think about, consider when you evaluate your personal debt situation and why it's so important to do so. And let's start with that. Why do you think it's so important for people to do a personal debt check-in, Blair? I can't imagine it's the easiest thing for folks to take on, but you think it's pretty important. Yeah, I do think it's important, Elaine. You know, it's just like the regular checkup with your doctor, your dentist, your routine vehicle maintenance. You know, yeah, you can skip that stuff, but after a period of time, it's going to be pay now or pay later. And usually the pay later is a whole lot more expensive and painful. If you skip the maintenance, you just end up paying more in the end. 
And with your finances, it's so easy. It's very simple just to navigate on financial autopilot, you know, just to keep things happening the same way they were, make all your minimums, you know, don't look at the bigger picture. And it's the famous adage that if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. And if you don't set your financial goals very deeply, you have a focus on them, you know, you're not going to be having the achievements that you could have over a 10 or 20 year period unless you've really got those goals set out. So it's really important to check in all the time to have your goals to see if you're trending towards them. And just to see also, you know, how are you feeling about your debt? Because from our experience, you know, that's the number one warning sign about debt. It's not, a, you know, a mathematical calculation is the same in everybody's situation. It's more, you know, are you feeling overwhelming stress about your finances? You know, sometimes it's physical, emotional, or psychological impacts. You know, are you having worry, anxiety, fear about money and your debt? Are you alienating yourself from family because you're embarrassed or stressed about spending on debt? You don't go out to things because you're worried about, you know, paying for them after, or you do go out and then you spend, you know, days being depressed after knowing that when you put on the credit card, you won't be able to pay off. Are you having arguments with your spouses, uh, with your spouse or other people in your life um, about your money, about spending or different things? And are you feeling frustrated or constantly worried about your debt? So if any of those boxes are being ticked, you'd benefit from having, you know, even just an exploratory discussion with a financial professional. It might be the case you're in great shape, you're just worrying about nothing, but you're going to feel a whole lot better having that validated. Oftentimes, the reason you're worrying is because something is telling you, you know, yeah, really, I'm not on a good path. Uh, I'm not going to be achieving my goals here. And it's time to do something different. And reaching out for that consultation can make all the difference and starting to sleep better at night and feeling good about working towards some financial goals. Are there some, you know, write down on paper kind of steps that somebody can take when they're when they're thinking about or wanting to do that personal debt check in? Definitely. There's a few really important things to encourage everybody to do. And some of these, you know, you should do them at least once a year or maybe twice a year. Uh, the first one, I don't think it would be a surprise to a whole lot of folks, but it's to check your credit history. So I don't recommend that, you know, you pay for the monthly credit monitoring. I don't recommend that you do this on a daily, weekly, or even monthly basis. But at least once a year or maybe even twice a year, it's well worth it to reach out to both credit bureaus in Canada. One's called Equifax. The other is TransUnion. They each have a credit report or credit history report on you. And quite often you'll find that are inaccurate, maybe not reporting appropriately. Um, or you might find that everything is just hunky-dory and it's just good to see that everything is, is out there and accurate. But be very careful because there's a couple different ways you can access your credit report. It's not going to ding your credit. When you check your credit, it doesn't put any marks against you. So if you've heard that, don't check your credit because it'll go down. That's only if you're going to various places trying to borrow money and they check your credit. That's what's called a hard hit. But you checking your credit yourself is just a soft hit. It doesn't do anything to it. Um, but you can get your credit report either online from either Equifax or TransUnion. Um, they have various promotions at various times. Sometimes they'll give you free access, and I only encourage you to ever get it if it's free online. But by mail, um, you have the ability to get a credit report sent to you, long-form credit report, at least once a year just by sending away to each of the credit bureaus. And if you go to sans-trustee.com, down at the bottom of our homepage, there's a client resources page, uh, and we've got a link to the form that you send away to both credit bureaus, and they'll send you your long-form credit report and a form to correct any inaccuracies that might be on there. So definitely something you should do at least once a year, get your credit report from both credit bureaus. And, and what about your credit score, Blair? Is that an important thing to check? 
in a word, no. And this is pretty surprising to people, and I, I know that. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I've got an 800 credit score or 650 or it just dropped, and all these commercials that we see, all oh, my scores down 20 points. What does that mean? It yeah. is the largest misdirection trick I think I've seen in years in the financial industry because each of the credit bureaus, the credit score that they calculate it's fictional. It's not used by any lender. Every lender is going to calculate their own credit score. It could be significantly different from lender to lender because they choose which factors they're going to put more or less weight on uh, depending on their business practice. So whatever you're getting, it's not going to be perfectly accurate and it can change very rapidly, even in the space of a month, depending on when your creditors actually report into the bureaus. If you get your credit score before they've reported or after they've reported in, it can be very different. So I encourage you, you know, if you're getting close to, you know, a mortgage um, or, you know, a car loan or things like that, okay, maybe sit down with the, with the creditor uh, and just figure out, okay, what are factors are important to them when they're going to calculate your credit score. But having this regular monitoring, having this three-digit number, it really doesn't have any basis in reality. So I encourage people not to focus at all on that credit score number. Okay. Listen, if, if you're already wanting to take some action and get a hold of Blair at Sands and Associates and any of his fabulous staff in, in all their offices throughout the province, 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. Uh, if you've already got a sense that you want to, you want a place to start. And, and that's what I suggest is that's the phone number to use to get a hold of them. What about checking in on your budget? Uh, I guess first thing would be to have a budget, I bet mm-hmm. is what you might say. <laughs> That's generally a best practice. So if you don't have a budget, uh, generally we recommend that that you do so. And, you know, you don't, there's various iterations of a budget. Some people are really down to the penny. Some people, it's, you know, just some large categories of spending. But it's very important not only to have a budget, but where things tend to fall off is when you revisit that budget at the end of the month and put the actuals beside what you actually had planned. So if you've got a budget, but you're not revisiting that on a monthly basis and seeing did you track towards it or not, you don't really have a budget at that point. You're not really getting the benefit um, of doing all of that activity if you're not actually comparing actual to what you had planned. Um, and what often happens if you're not doing that comparison where the gap is created is in your savings. Savings is often the last thing to get done each month. And if you're not living within your budget, it's your savings that are often going to take the hit. Got it. So in the last couple of minutes here, when it comes to looking at our debts or, or my debts, what are some of the areas that I should be looking out for really closely? I think one of the really key things is to categorize your debt. And, you know, we can be a, a little bit lighthearted about it and call it, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, but it's not that far off. You know, there are good debt. There's debt that you incur with the expectation of a future benefit. So something like a student loan, for example, you're borrowing that money because you expect your earning capacity is going to pay it off. That should be good debt. A mortgage should be similar to that as long as you haven't overpaid. Um, The bad debt is debt for things that have lost their value very quickly or maybe instantly. So, you know, just general consumption, you know, a night out or a vacation, you know, you might have really enjoyed it. But a non-essential credit card purchase where you're going to be carrying a balance, um, that's typically, you know, a bad debt. It's something you'd like to avoid. Um, The ugly is two categories here, payday loans or installment loans where the debts are 39, 40, 50 percent, something so high or government debt. If you're facing either of those situations, you should get some professional help in the short term because the payday loan interest is going to keep you trapped in debt for quite some time. And if it's an amount owing to the government, um, you could be very surprised how quickly and aggressively the government might start to take action against you. You'll want to be aware of what can happen and take some, some plans to forestall that if you can. 
And in the last couple of seconds here, Blair, I know you've got the best suggestion for anybody who isn't feeling very confident after they've done that check-in or they want a second opinion. Absolutely. It's a reach out to Sands and Associates, connect with a licensed insolvency trustee for no charge, as little as, you know, 30 to 60 minutes. We're going to assess the whole situation, um, help you understand what you're dealing with and how you can move forward, have a much better financial future. The number, again, is 1-800-661-3030 to book your free confidential debt consultation. And you're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.